Hello and welcome. You are listening to Patrick Boyle on Finance, a podcast exploring ideas from quantitative finance, examining events occurring in markets right now and financial history to see what lessons can be taken away, including interviews with some of the most interesting people in the world of finance. To learn more about the podcast, visit onfinance.org. The first US-listed Bitcoin ETFs are likely to launch this week after an eight-year battle to win SEC approval. The 75-day period during which the SEC could object expires at midnight today. The ProShares Bitcoin strategy ETF will probably launch on Tuesday with the ticker symbol BITO. And on Wednesday, the Invesco Bitcoin strategy ETF should also be allowed to launch, unless they're blocked by the SEC at the last minute. So let's discuss how these new funds differ from other crypto ETFs that the SEC has rejected in the past, and what will you actually get if you buy one of these financial products. Now, it's worth noting that these will not be the first crypto exchange-traded products in the world just the first on US equity exchanges. There are almost 50 similar products available worldwide, even with some inverse payoffs which rise in value when a given cryptocurrency falls and vice versa. In total, there's around $14 billion invested in this type of product worldwide right now, but these will be the first US exchange-listed products. An ETF, which stands for Exchange Traded Fund, is an asset that trades on the open market like a stock and is available to regular investors. Some companies like Grayscale have products that offer Bitcoin exposure to American investors already, but they are only available to qualified wealthy investors and the shares often trade at a price that doesn't match the underlying cryptocurrency. These ETFs will be based on Bitcoin futures contracts rather than actual Bitcoin. And Gary Gensler, the chairman of the SEC, has hinted that he's more comfortable with the trading on regulated futures exchanges as opposed to the trading that occurs on crypto exchanges. The SEC has previously shown concern about liquidity and the risk of price manipulation on Bitcoin exchanges. So why have these been accepted by the SEC? Well, unlike the other Bitcoin ETFs that the SEC has rejected in the past, these two funds are based on futures contracts and were filed under mutual fund rules that the SEC has said provide significant investor protections. So why are the SEC happier with this type of ETF compared to an ETF that just holds Bitcoins? The answer is that this type of product is a lot more standard, especially because Bitcoin futures already trade on regulated US futures exchanges, and they've been available for quite a while. This is really just a repackaging of this already existing financial product, such that it can be traded on an equity exchange rather than a futures exchange. And as such, it's not really revolutionary, and to the SEC, it's a fairly standard financial product. If something goes wrong on a regulated futures exchange, the SEC knows how to deal with it and they're better able to step in, investigate and intervene. 
An ETF based on actual bitcoins, on the other hand, would be harder for the SEC to approve, as the coins trade in a lot of different locations, most of which are not necessarily subject to much US regulatory oversight. If something went wrong on an unregulated Bitcoin exchange and US investors lost money, the SEC could look quite bad. With a futures-based ETF, the issue of custody of Bitcoins is entirely sidestepped. The futures are a bet on the price change of Bitcoin, but there's no requirement to store Bitcoins, so the SEC doesn't have to worry about theft or loss of passwords or anything like that. So who might want to use ETFs to invest in Bitcoin, especially when we know that a lot of the people who want to invest in Bitcoin already have done so, and futures are already available? Well, financial advisors, for example, might want to use these products to give their investors exposure to the asset class without trading on an unregulated exchange and without signing their clients up for a futures trading account. Now, while the SEC sees these products as being more appropriate for retail investors than trading in the underlying Bitcoin spot market, these ETFs most likely won't give investors the same returns as they would get by just buying Bitcoin directly. If you buy shares in a regular stock ETF, without going into too much detail, the fund basically takes your money and uses it to buy shares of the stocks in the index that the ETF tracks. If you buy one of these Bitcoin ETFs, instead of the money going into Bitcoin, around one third of the money will be used as margin at a futures exchange, and the rest of the money goes into an interest-bearing account that contains money market securities. The money being used as margin at an exchange is there to collateralize a futures contract, which is a bet with a counterparty that gives you a payoff tied to the return of Bitcoin. If Bitcoin goes up in price, more money is transferred into your account, and if Bitcoin falls in value, some of your money goes to pay the person on the other side of that futures bet. So buying this ETF does not give you actual Bitcoin. You basically get a pool of cash plus a bet on the price direction of Bitcoin. You might then wonder if a structure like this means that for you to be able to bet that the price of Bitcoin will rise, does someone else need to be betting that the price will fall? And the answer is that they do. But there is a good chance that this person, the person on the other side of your futures trade, won't just be making that bet. Odds are pretty good that the person who has sold the futures contracts to the ETF will be buying actual Bitcoins as a hedge. So that person, an arbitrageur, will buy actual Bitcoins and then hedge their trade by selling Bitcoin futures short. Right now, Bitcoin is trading at around $60,000. So they will be spending $60,000 on a Bitcoin, and then they'll have to post around $20,000 in margin, one-third the price of Bitcoin, at the futures exchange in order to be allowed to sell Bitcoin futures short. Putting this trade on will consume $80,000 of their capital. Now, as I mentioned earlier, the ETF puts up one-third of the capital to buy Bitcoin futures and keeps the rest in an interest-bearing account. The arbitrageur must instead put up the full cost of a coin plus margin, so $80,000 in total, to provide that futures contract to the ETF. 
the arbitrageur is also exposed to the security risk of their bitcoins being stolen by a hacker or problems at the bitcoin exchange that they use. Retail investors who buy the ETF are exposed to the much more manageable credit risk of a registered US commodity futures exchange, which seems a lot better. So why would an arbitrageur choose to do this, to tie up this much capital and to take these risks? The answer is that they will only do it if they can charge for that service. So they need to be able to charge you somehow for the use of their capital and be compensated for the risk that they're taking in dealing with actual bitcoins and exchanges that the SEC are protecting retail investors from. So the way that futures work, and thus futures-based ETFs, is that you as an investor are often paying someone else to store the underlying product for you. This applies to Bitcoin ETFs, but also things like oil ETFs. Over time, futures-based ETFs can make and lose money for their end investors based on divergences in the prices of the futures with the products that they track. Bitcoin futures typically, but not always, trade with a modestly upward sloping curve, which is known as contango. This means that the longer dated Bitcoin futures tend to trade at a higher price than short-term or soon-to-expire contracts. This can lead to lower returns or losses for the ETF investors, as the ETF has to sell their soon-to-expire contracts, the ones that are trading cheap, and use the proceeds to buy the more expensive long-dated contracts. So when you look at the price of Bitcoin futures, you'll see that they tend to trade at a premium of around 8% above the price of Bitcoin. Right now, the premium is around 15%, possibly because traders are positioning themselves in advance of the ETF's approval. So buying this ETF right now means paying 15% more for Bitcoin exposure than you'd pay by just buying actual Bitcoins. On top of that, the ETF charges a management fee. For the ProShares one, that fee is 95 bips, so just under a percent a year in management fees. The question then is why would anyone buy this Bitcoin ETF instead of just buying actual Bitcoins? We discussed the problem of storage a while back in a video I made when oil prices went negative. It's fairly understandable why you don't buy oil and store it in your house. Your family would complain, and I guess there are probably environmental, maybe even fire regulations about filling up your swimming pool or your bathtub with crude oil. Bitcoin, on the other hand, used to be a bit trickier to own a few years ago, but today you can buy actual Bitcoins on a brokerage platform like Robinhood, you can open an account at Coinbase, or you can even trade Bitcoin futures on a US regulated exchange. It's not entirely obvious to me the financial need for a product like this. So while the SEC believes Bitcoin futures are more appropriate for retail investors than actual Bitcoins, these new ETFs are unlikely to provide investors with the same returns. Let me know your thoughts in the comments section below and if you're excited about these new products. If you found this podcast interesting, you'll probably enjoy my most recent podcast on the biggest fat finger trading errors, which starts out with some recent examples from the crypto space. See you guys later. Bye.
If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you're notified when a new episode is posted. Thank you to everyone who is supporting this content on Patreon. If you enjoyed this content, you can find more like it on YouTube, on the Patrick Boyle on Finance channel, or follow us on Twitter at Patrick E. Boyle. Thanks for listening. Bye.